1: Hey, Hound Doggers, if there is one thing that you could identify Houndsman XP with, it has got to be the message of building unity and bridging the gap. That's why we are proud to sponsor with a company like Dogs R-Tread. Dogs Are tread is a company that is based in Incom, Idaho. It's run by Houndsman. The products were designed by Houndsman. We're talking decades of experience in the field with some legendary hounds doing some legendary work out there. And Kevin Hall has put his decades of experience into building products that benefit you the houndsman. So, when you're shopping for your gear, check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreated.com and if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off You will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast.
2: Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in
1: here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. ...that has a deeper tradition for hunting hounds than in the Deep South. We are going to Southeastern United States this week, and we are going to talk to Mark Booth, the owner and creator of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. We're going to have a great discussion about deer hunting with hounds in the Deep South. We're going to touch on some hog hunting issues, bear hunting issues, uh, clubs, the whole nine yards... Everything that's Southern is in this episode of the podcast. You want to make sure you check out Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. If you can't get enough of hounds, if you are always looking for more information, Southern Hound Magazine has your answer. It's a quarterly magazine, bear hunting, hog hunting, deer hunting, squirrel hunting, everything, anything you can hunt with a hound. They are talking about it in the pages of this quarterly magazine, and you can find them at southernhoundhunting.com and get your subscription today. I want to tell you about a company that I found, and I have not been disappointed in this company. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got, got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. Easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell. It's a great way to keep your dog protected while you while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash series. This is a watering system. and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit and the way it's designed out of high impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it check them out Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that i can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while i'm out hunting when it's super cold i've had exterior tanks before and as soon as i go to cold climates then i've got to figure out how i'm going to get water to my hounds and The dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at Dakota283.com. And at checkout, enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order. Unparalleled pet protection. Find your products at Dakota283.com. Last but not least, we got to give a shout out to our friends over at Freedom Hunter's. Freedom Hunters is taking America's warriors from field to field, battlefield to a field near you if you volunteer to take a veteran on a hunting adventure. A couple weeks ago, we featured Freedom Hunters again with our friend Anthony Pace on the podcast, and we talked about how easy it is for you to get involved in Freedom Hunters and the programs that they offer. So check out freedomhunters.org and see how you can get involved today for a great cause and a very worthy cause. Thank you for spending your time with Houndsman XP on this Monday, and it's time to dump the box. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We are so glad that you're with us again, and uh, we got a great guest this week. We've got the publisher, editor, owner, not sure what job uh, you don't do there, Mark, but uh, Mark Booth with Southern Hunting Ma- Hound Hunting Magazine. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. I just asked you about that whole name, and I messed it yep, up.
0: That's right. That's all right. No big deal. I appreciate it, Chris. I'm happy to be on the podcast with you.
1: Yeah. So uh, tell us what part of the world you're from there, Mark.
0: Um, we're actually out of Lakeland, Georgia, a little no red light kind of town, and Deep south Georgia, about 25 miles from the Florida line, right in the middle of the state. So I grew up hunting in the deep south.
1: Yeah, and what a great heritage there is in the south. I was thinking about this this week. seems like hound hunting and southern living just go hand in hand. Um,
0: that, that's right.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you look at the—even Hollywood recognizes that. Everything from, you know, Old Yeller was— uh, filmed in Texas. And I think even people that watch, uh, films like the, uh, uh, where the red fern grows, even though it was out in the Ozarks, it's still Southern type living. Um, uh, the yearly with Gary Cooper. That's an old one. Have you ever seen that movie? The yearly? Oh
0: yeah. Read yep. the book, seen the movie filmed down there at, uh, in Florida.
1: That's right. That's right. It just seems like something about, uh, the South that, that, uh, people just think of hound hunting you guys live it
0: yeah oh yeah we live it you know season to season and uh there's something to hunt with a hound or a dog year round down here and i've grown up doing it i think i was one or two when i could stand up in the middle of the truck seat of my dad's truck he was hauling me to the woods with the dogs and i've been doing it for 37 years now Just something about it and the passion of it just keeps driving me to keep on with it.
1: Yeah. So tell us, tell us what, uh, hunting in the South is like. So give us kind of a, I'd like to know what the, the, uh, background is on, on some Southern hunting and, and hound hunting in the deep South. What's that like?
0: Um, well, of course we here in Georgia, we start in October, so it's still pretty hot when we start our deer season. Um, We'll have 80 to 90 degree temperatures and uh, winter really doesn't kick in until deer season's almost over with in January. So we've got to keep our dogs in really good shape. Um, We run them in the off season a really good bit just to keep them up and get them used to the heat. But uh, everybody does it a little bit different. It depends on what region you're hunting. Uh, Some of the guys... We'll pull stands and drop people off and do drives, but the way we do it, um, we'll ride around before daylight and check for tracks and try to mark the biggest buck tracks that we can find and get a good trail dog and put them on it, and everybody get a stand in their truck, and we use uh, CB radios and indicate, and uh, just try to get where we think big buck's going to cross and get ahead of them and Um, we have a big time doing it that's the way we've done it for all my life and i wouldn't have
1: it any other way right so we're primarily right now we're talking about deer hunting with hounds and i'll tell you you're the first you're the first houndsman that hunts whitetail deer with hounds uh that we've had on the podcast we've had a lot of requests for it over the uh you know the last year and a half two years since we got started and the reason i called you uh not only to get you on the podcast, but you'd sent me some magazines some time back and and I've been watching the uh re- looking through those and reading through those and, and wanted to talk to somebody uh from there, so I just called you direct.
0: That's sure right. I'm I might not be an expert on it, but I've done it a good bit and I can tell you some of the ins and outs that go with it.
1: So tell us about Tell us about a hound hunt with hounds. I mean, just start us out in the morning, when uh, everything from what time time you leave the house to uh, to when you get a get a deer down or or your deer hunting, just kind of walk okay. us through that whole thing.
0: Well, we'll get up. You know, first of the season, especially everybody's excited and fired up and rested up from the off season. We'll get there an hour and a half maybe two hours before daylight and my actual hunting club's about 15,000 acres so we'll scour the roads. Um, We try to mow the roads, get them graded so we can be able to find tracks pretty decently in the dirt road and we'll scatter out. There'll be 10 or 15 of us and flashlights hanging out the windows looking for tracks on top of all the signs and uh, we'll get out find a good buck track um drag your foot in the dirt and that's just our kind of way of marking the track so when we get ready to turn out we'll know where to go and look for the track to turn out
1: so when you're when you say hunt when you say hunting club describe for our listeners what that is because uh people in the west and even people up here in the the upper midwest uh other places besides down there where you're at think hunting club and they think this building that you go to so what's a hunting club in in south georgia
0: uh, for all of us down here we we lease land from timber companies or uh trust of uh, farms um I think we have three different landowners that compromise the fifteen thousand acres that we're in so we'll pay a lease i think right now we're paying around four dollars an acre and there's no we have a one of the members of our club lives on the edge of the club and we have a in and rack up at his house, place to get together if it's raining, but uh, our hunting club is no lodge or anything, it's just, it's really close to all of our houses within 15 minutes for every member, and we go up there and just utilize the land that we lease, and uh, we have approximately 32 members every year on our club, Mm -hmm. Um, some, some of the members get in just to still hunt. We have members get in just to hog hunt, Um, but the majority of us are all hound hunters for, for the deer. Yeah. Um, So it's, and majority of Georgia is like that. We don't have a whole lot of public land like out west. And even some of the guys in Mississippi and Louisiana, they can hunt national forest and things like that. The public land that we have available to us is usually a quota hunt each year you apply hope you get picked and you get to take like a group of 20 hunters um for two or three days on public land Mm so everything that we everything that we especially with deer that we dog hunt is private land that we've leased out
1: and then what's the deer season look like down there in in south georgia you said it comes in in october and runs through wind
0: it ends the second week of January, second Sunday, and it starts the third Saturday of October every year. Okay. So we get a good three good three month season.
1: Yep. So
0: And we we also have bear hunts. Um there's a lot of bears close to the Okifinoki swamp, close to where we hunt, and we have twelve days of bear season. Um it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday for four straight weeks where we can um,
1: run our dogs and bear hunting as well so is he uh on bear hunting is is that going to be uh uh how many how many weeks do you say it was
0: it's three weeks or
1: four weeks four. three days each week yeah so it's only, so three, only three days, 12 days. Each. okay you get 12 days of bear hunting and it lasts yep. like a friday saturday sunday would that be right
0: uh, thursday friday and saturday each thursday
1: week. friday saturday and you can do that four times and
0: yep. and that that starts in september and the last bear season is the weekend before deer season starts
1: okay all right man you're get you're, you're getting me keyed up for a lot of questions when we get into this thing for sure <laughs> <laughs> uh so get us back to this deer hunt deal um yep. so so you find your track and tell us where it goes from there. Somebody finds a track, they get on the radio, everybody's spread out. Tell us what it, where it goes from there.
0: Uh, once we decide, you know, we'll have several tracks marked before daylight. And we try to be fair to make sure everybody gets the turnout, you know, appropriately. So it usually goes whoever was the first one there and got a track marked. Um, they'll get the first chance to turn out um, of the day. We'll decide which block got track's going in, and by block, I mean, you know, this piece of, or this certain acreage within these roads. So we've got all our roads named, and most of our blocks are named.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So we'll, we'll say this track's going in the Laney block. So everybody will get on the John Road, the Claudy Road, and the Beehive, and the Carla Joyce, and those are the roads that surround that Laney block. Okay. And everybody will pick pick a stand where they think the deer might cross. So once everybody's kind of around the block, whoever's turning their hounds out, will usually turn their best trail dog out on the track. And once they get it, get it up and going, get the barking pretty good. We'll add the rest of our packs of dogs, and then the race is on. Hopefully. Yeah. As you well know, not every track's going to result in a race. Um. But usually, um, within 10 or 12 minutes, the majority of the time, we have a race going. And uh, a lot of our trail dogs are really good, and they'll jump the, jump the deer that made the track we turned out on. And then once the race gets going, you know, like I said, you're hopefully on the right stand seeing cross the road, and he's not going to stop and look at you. He's going to be running <laughs> full tilt. And most of our roads are you know wide enough for two trucks to pass by each other Uh uh-huh so if you've got somebody down the road from you we're all parked on the same side of the road where the deer's gonna be coming from and we're shooting shotguns with buckshot so if the deer comes out for an opportunity for you to shoot you have to wait for him to clear the hunter in the truck down the road from you and shoot him as he's crossing the opposite ditch and you know, sometimes you get two or three shots off. Sometimes you may only get one shot. Okay. And that's, that's when it gets fun, especially if somebody misses, because they're getting on the CB radio, they're hollering, it's a big buck, it's a big buck.
1: And you missed Everybody's it. Everybody's
0: cranking. <laughs> and you missed it. Does then anybody I, give anybody a, a hard
1: time for missing a deer?
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> our, my buddies, all these guys that I hunt with, I, I grew up hunt with all my life. And if you miss one, you'll never hear the end of it. Trust <laughs> me, I missed, I missed two pretty good bucks this year, and um, I'm still catching grief about it to this day. But that's all in the <laughs> fun of it. We enjoy it, and we expect it. We wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, man. Yeah. But what's, you know, if, if somebody, if the shooter kills a deer, we all gather up, catch the dogs off the race. You know, we gather around, take some pictures, do some congratulating. Um, we'll field dress the deer there where we kill it, um, load it up on the truck and take it to Clay's house that I was talking about lives on the edge of the club. And we'll uh-huh. hang him up for the deer when we get ready to skin him. But if he keeps going, everybody's firing up their trucks, you know, if they're excited. It's a big buck. He's still going. Um, whoever was right there that shot or somebody else close, they'll add some more dogs to the race. Um, at times, we'll have three or four packs at the time running one deer. And, that, you know, you get to hear that roar that we just love so much. Yeah. You hear that many hounds running that deer. And uh, you get and go to the next block. So, he crossed the beehive coming out of the laning block. You go to the Carly Joyce at the landline, or you go to the John Road at the Cutover Pond.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That, you know, that's just stands that you know where deer have crossed before. And you're you know you're getting there on time, hoping you didn't turn the deer, hoping you get there before him. Um, especially after one's been shot, he'll put it in high gear, and he'll cross the next road before any of us can get there. So it's on to the next block. But uh, so, we
1: so you got Go it. Uh, how big are, how big are typically one of these blocks, Mark? Uh, you're talking about dropping into a block. Are we talking uh, an area that's. Like, if you get up into uh, into my country here, go a little bit north of me, a block of land would be a mile-by-one-mile a mile square. It's pretty flat in the, in the central part of Indiana, uh, so you're looking at a, a one-mile-by-one-mile one block. Is that about um, what you guys are looking at down there?
0: They, some of them are. We have one block that we call the Flats. Um, just because it's just old flat swamp in it and they couldn't cut roads through it, it's probably... 2000 acres in mm. one block but most of our blocks are a little smaller um they'll be around 2 to 500 acres okay so, so you you know there's pretty big block and it'll take you know 10 or 12 trucks at least to cover majority of each block so they're they're pretty big some clubs have them cut up a little bit better it all depends on the timber company the way they cut the roads when they're going in there to cut timber and harvest everything but just the way ours are um they're kind of curvy and twisty and weird shape and we, we have some really big blocks on our hunting club
1: yeah just to give save everybody some google time one square mile is 640 acres so you here. said you've got one block that's almost 2,000 acres so you're looking at a little over three uh let me do some math here just under four Five square miles, right yep yeah four square four square miles, if, just under four square if, miles,
0: if you're not running a long range antenna on your garmin from one end of that block to the other, you're not gonna pick up your ham.
1: yeah, so when you get a uh-huh. when you get a track when you find a track, are you guys running any rig dogs, or is everything uh, you guys are you guys are uh grading roads and and typically just eyeballing tracks as you're driving along.
0: Yeah, we're just eyeballing tracks um none of our dogs are rigged dogs. we keep them in the box and once we find a track or you know get lucky every night and then and see a buck cross the road in front of us uh will turn out like that but and you can count on your dogs sometimes especially on a really fresh track, just like rigging for a bear line um dogs will go get fired up in the box and right like, they smell that that's a fresh that's a fresh track and I've had coon-
1: two. I've had coon dogs that were mighty fine rigging, mighty fine at rigging deer.
0: <laughs> I'd oh, had, yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to break them
1: off of them, but, uh, Oh yeah. So you get, you put your start dog down. It's and yep. describe that type of dog that you want for a start dog.
0: Um, one want a good cold nose dog, because a lot of times our tracks are maybe eight to 10 hours old. We'll go drag the road the night before. Um, so they could be, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 hours old or fresher. So we want a really good cold-nosed dog that'll take that track from the ditch um, because we hunt in planted pines. They, timber companies have gone through, harvested timber, and gone back and planted pines. And there's not a whole lot of places for scent to be found, gallberries some palmettos, and a lot of pine straw. Mm-hmm. So you need a dog that's got a really good nose um, to take that particular track because we have a lot of dogs and obviously we not want to get on one of those. So you want a dog that's going to go from track to track essentially and try to find that big track that you turned out on and not veer off and, you know, just hunt up another deer, which happens. They're dogs. They're going to do that no matter what. Mm-hmm. But uh, a good dog that's going to bark really well um, on the track and that way, once they get three or four hundred yards in there, and you can tell it's getting fresher and fresher, and the dogs getting hotter and hotter, mm-hmm. you want them to be able to bark a good bit to bring the rest of the dogs to them.
1: I got you. So, so, so you're looking for a dog with that gives a lot of mouth on track, but uh, a yep. dog, a pretty intelligent dog that that sticks with the track you put them on. That's right, and then one that that and can we, move that track out of there to a jump, and th- and then you feed other dogs
0: into your your start dog. Is that what I'm hearing? That's what. That's exactly right. Once, once, and it, and it's just a feel thing every hound hunter's experience. You can tell when your trail dog is getting to the point where you know it's fixing a big game on, right? And that's when we release the other five or six, seven hounds that we carry in our box, and. You know, some of those dogs are good trail dogs too. They'll get off on their own and trail up a deer, but you primarily have your one or two best trail dogs that you trust more than any of the rest of them. And once they get get that track good and hot, you turn the rest of the pack to them, and um, it's not long before the race is on and it's time to have some fun.
1: Yeah, it's the same way with bear hunting. You you know you you put a start dog down, a good good dog that you know is going to move that track on out of there, and and once you know they've got it lined out, you might feed a few dogs into it, but the real the real fun starts, you're, those track dogs earn their money up to the point that, that uh, the bear has jumped, and we'll get into bear hunting in a minute, but it sounds like deer hunting is a lot the same way, and you got to have a pack that's going to honor the dog that you're dropping to so that you don't turn into, man, I can only imagine. What's your deer population like down there?
0: uh we have a very high deer population and our buck to doe, doe ratio is way out of whack we have a lot more does than we do bucks but mm-hmm. um we generally kill 25 to 30 bucks a year on our 15,000 acres mm-hmm. um, probably probably should be a little higher if some of us could shoot better at times yeah but we <laughs> we have we have a, re- a really good um population down here um there's no shortage of them whatsoever so
1: Uh, what I was getting at with deer population, if you don't have dogs that will go in and honor that start dog or that strike dog, then you could potentially end up with four or five different races going at one time. That sounds like a train wreck to me.
0: Oh, yeah. And that that happens, you know. Mm -hmm. We'll turn out, you know, late in the day if we're out of fresh tracks and we just want to cast our dogs, we'll pick a spot Mm and cast a pack from one side of the block and another cast from the other side of the block and just let them hunt and okay you know nine times out of ten you'll have two or three races going at one time yeah and that can get confusing at times but it can also get fun because you never know that you know the odds are better that you're going to get a buck when you have two or three races going Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a lot more fun to hear all those races and. Most of the time, um, especially in some of the smaller blocks, all those hounds will converge on one race. They'll eventually run into each other, and you'll have one race going. Yeah. So they'll, they'll, they'll eventually get together um, most of the time. But we've, we've had periods where we've had five or six different races going at one time.
1: Have you, uh, <coughs> have you ever – Excuse me. Uh, are you guys allowed to take those down there off, off your club?
0: We don't. We'll have a, a club deer day once or twice a year where we'll harvest a doe um, just to have a hunting club cookout, get some meat for a cookout for the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but we uh, we don't do a whole lot of uh, shooting does just because we do have some farms around us and they do a lot of permanent hunting during the summer. Okay. So some of the population gets taken care of during the summer um by permanent hunters so we we don't kill a whole lot of does on our on our club
1: yeah i was just curious you said something about the uh deer to buck ratio being out of whack and i didn't know if you guys did yep. any management you know through the club trying to get some of those doe numbers down maybe to get your uh yep. numbers back on track
0: and then we let you know we let kids kill a doe or two here and there and um, so we kill, end up killing a few every year, but we just try not to kill a whole pile of them. Right. You know, we still like to have a good race every now and then. And sure. Even a good doe race is fun to listen to.
1: Yeah. So if you're primarily hunting bucks, have you found, have you ever had a dog that just seems, when you free cast them, they seem to be able to come up with a buck more, you know, almost, almost kind of, uncanny you know this dog likes to run buck deer
0: that you know there's a lot of dog hunters that claim that so and so this dog will only run a buck Uh uh-huh and there's some truth to it i've got a 14 year old walker named jake that he's retired now he went deaf on me a couple years ago but he's living the life of luxury here but he was one of the buckiest dogs i've ever i've ever owned it for some reason it seemed like he could always find a buck better than any other dog i've ever owned
1: did you say bucky
0: dog buckiest
1: oh buckiest i was gonna say i've heard a lucky yep. dog i've never heard a bucky dog he,
0: no he just seemed like he would he would find a buck better than any other dog that yep. i've ever uh-huh. hauled around in a box Yeah, and you know a lot of people don't believe you when you say that but We've all seen it firsthand. There's 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 few far, few and far between dogs that seem to have that ability.
1: Well, I can tell you from my experience, coon hunting in Indiana. If you've got a if you've got a young dog that you think is broke off of deer, and you try to hunt them through the rut up here when those bucks really mm-hmm. s- start, and I can smell a buck when it's you know oh, if yeah. I get into heavy heavy dense cover or whatever, and I, I'm I know what a buck smells like, so I can imagine that a dog would have absolutely no problem figuring that out. So I, I believe it. I yeah. believe it's totally possible. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. And I, and like when the deer are in right here, around Halloween to Veterans Day, we have some of the best running we ever have for bucks during that period, just because one bucks are on their feet more. But what you said as well, they're they're putting out a lot more scent, and mm-hmm. dogs are a lot more apt to stay on them for longer. Um, and one thing, you know, we found throughout all these years of hunting is the bucks know where the does lay. It doesn't matter how good the race is going. You can see a good buck cross the road and the dogs be 50 yards behind him, but that buck knows where some does are laying and he'll run right through them and somehow throw the dogs off on the doe. And you know, next road, dogs are running their doe, and they think you're lying because you said you saw a good eight point cross the road in front of the dogs. But those bucks are just smart enough to know that they can throw the dogs off on the doe somehow. If you run him long enough, he'll find a find a place to throw them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, and I don't mean this, mean this disrespectful at all uh about hunting deer with dogs but i think a lot of people have this vision that well heck i've got a dog that runs deer like crazy down here you know and and we work hard to get our dogs broke off a of deer up here but yeah. there's a lot more to it you know just a short time i've talked to you before and and what i've read and and in this conversation there's a lot more to it than than just any old potlicker run a deer so I really want to talk to you oh, about yeah. about those hounds and and what kind of hounds are you running?
0: I'm running walkers um and we've bred them so long around here where I live um we just call them old line walkers because we've been breeding the same lines for mm-hmm. so long with all the hunters I hunt with um and some of mine, you know, they're not full-blooded paper dolls um some of them are black and tan colored. Some of them are tree and walker colored. Um, I have a few that I know have July bloodlines running through them somehow because of the, the red colors coming out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, it's just a hodgepodge of dog breeding that's resulted in these walker hounds that we have. But they're all long-legged, um, fast, fast-moving, fast you know, kind of short-eared hounds. Right. Um, so That vary from... Go
1: ahead. No, I'd finish your thought there, Mark.
0: Um, you know that varies, like any other hound, from choppy barks to big bawling mouths, okay? And little yippy barks to anything squealing mouth to anything in between.
1: So that country you're in down there, I, I imagine there's a mixed mixed terrain there, but you've got swamp ground. So are you looking for a dog that? Um, Is a little bit taller, a little bit leggier to be able to get through some of that country, or does it seem to matter?
0: Yeah, we've we've had some people that's tried to run beagles in these clubs we hunt, and the beagles do great as far as running a deer, but when they get in these swamps, especially during a wet time, they have a a little bit harder time keeping up Mm -hmm. and getting them through these bigger blocks, so. We all try to get some long-legged hounds that you know can push them a little faster and can get through the deep swamps a little bit easier, mm-hmm. um, because they call it the flatwoods here, where we live for a reason. Um, you know, there's no elevation; it's all boggy, wet. Um, you get up on the hill and the planted pines a good bit, but almost every block that we hunt in's got a a good big good size swamp in it somewhere.
1: Yeah, I've hunted down there around Albany, Georgia, in some of those flatwoods, and uh, you'll just be walking across a a peanut field or a cotton field to the edge of the timber, and all of a sudden, you're walking into a, a pond with trees in it. Yep, you know, is the way I would describe uh, it to somebody, and uh, a pond with timber in it, and it. I've seen it anywhere from being three inches deep to being three foot deep out in those out in those boggy swamps and
0: oh yeah seen a few places where you throw your hat yeah we've we've done that on deer that we've gone in a block to recover you know if you shoot one crossing the road and the dogs go in across the road and bay we're going going in after him and we've got a couple spots that we've actually had to swim i'm six foot four and it's been over my head and we've had to swim to the deer dogs will be on a tussock in that pond and barking at the deer
1: laying there you know and yeah have to float him out yeah so, so uh, uh with you say you got 30 some people in your club and 15 of you are hunting. you're all are you all pretty much hunting the same line of dogs you try to breed dogs together i mean how much of a club is this thing you guys try to swap dogs back and forth and keep your breeding going within your group or do you go outside that group sometime to find dogs
0: um there's several hunting clubs that border ours um so a lot of us in about two or three town two or three counties around us um we breed with you know it might not be somebody from our particular club but it might be with somebody from the club across the highway
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, i've raised several litters of puppies and several of my buddies in my club have puppies off of my dogs that they hunt up there with me and i have some of theirs and uh, I'll breed a gyp. I'm actually planning on breeding a, one of my best gyps right now to one of my buddy's best male dogs um, this spring. So we try to keep it all together. We we really don't go anywhere outside of two or three counties for, for dogs.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I I've actually
0: got a good friend in Alabama. I'm, I'm going to Alabama this spring to get a puppy from him just to get a different bloodline. and add that to my kennel um just to see what it'll do but um everything i've got's been homegrown for 30 years
1: yeah how many hounds do you keep mark
0: i've just, got 11 just, for, right just now. for deer just for deer
1: 11 I,
0: i've got 10 10 uh deer dogs right now mm-hmm. um, got one one bird dog but um usually i try to most of the time all you need is five or six to have a good race and but i've raised a couple litters of puppies recently and i just couldn't detach myself from some of them so now i have 10 and i wouldn't trade any of them for anything they've all turned into really great dogs
1: isn't that funny how that works seems like Houndsmen are really good at accumulating dogs
0: and and (laughs) what's made it even harder my daughter's Eight years old right now, and when we have a litter of puppies, she lays claim to about two of them, and it's hard to tell your only daughter no. And uh so we we end up getting stuck with a couple more every time that I wasn't planning on keeping, but that's all right, all right, long as she enjoys it, wants to go with me, and can call those dogs hers. That, that makes it even better.
1: That's right, that's right. So you've got dogs. Once you once your the the deer crosses the road, I'll kind of bring us back into this deer hunt. So the dog crosses the road and uh, somebody shoots at it and they hit it but they you know that it doesn't go down. Then you've got uh you've got a tracking deal going on there where where the dogs are just trying to what are the what are the dogs trying to achieve after that? You said something about bay ups.
0: Um once if the person's pretty positive they hit the deer, um we'll let the dogs that's been running go on on the track. And we'll usually add another pack to the race just to give the uh, lead dogs a little backup, some fresher dogs. If they've been running for an hour or two, you know, you need some fresh dogs. Um, and we keep an eye on them now with the Garmin's. And you can obviously tell by the way they change their bark. Um, they'll get in there if the deer's down,
2: mm-hmm. they'll go
0: to bay any, Um And then we tear off through the woods and go for him. But, um, if the deer is not hurt uh, too bad and still on his feet, the dogs won't stop. They'll just keep the race going until we either get across where we can't run him anymore or we finally kill him. Right. Right.
1: So talk to me about starting young dogs, young, young deer hounds. What do you look for in a young, young hound and and how do you get them started?
0: When I, when I look at a litter of puppies, I pick one that's got personality that kind of a go-getter when you put those puppies on the ground the first time out of the brooder um, see the ones that are kind of exploring around the yard a little more um, just and got their nose to the ground you know seeing what this new world's about and as they get a little older seeing how they respond you know if you can call them by name or get them used to coming to you because i want a dog that's easy to handle and that's the biggest issue we as deer hunters with dogs have is neighboring landowners so you don't want a dog that's just going to be wild-eyed and not handle you know you can't handle him so you want a dog that's going to be pretty easy going but still got that hard drive to hunt and it becomes pretty obvious as they get on up to seven or eight weeks old which dogs have got the sense to listen to you um and which ones that you know you're just drawn to by the way they act in the yard and i always keep a deer hide or two in my freezer and keep a couple of deer legs mm-hmm. with the glands on them. And I'll drag them across the backyard or my daughter will and let those puppies just go to town and let them catch a deer leg and fight over it and play with it. And just to introduce them to start with and see how they do. And there's always that two or three special puppies in the litter who will take that deer trail, you know, with that drag you've made and follow it all the way to a treat I leave for them at the end of it,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that kind of gives me an idea of which puppies I want to keep out of a litter. And once you decide what you're going to keep, it's just like with any other hound, you know, putting them on the dirt, the best, best medicine for them. Uh huh. Um, I'll take them to the woods in the summertime and just walk them up and down the dirt roads. I'll walk miles with them um let them get used to the woods and you know hopefully see a deer and let them smell a fresh track and see how they react and then i'll take them with one of my older dogs that's you know a little slower by now Mm -hmm. and when we start running in the off season turn that older dog out let them get get it going and turn those puppies with him let them follow him around and you know kind of learn firsthand from an older dog you know, you take them every Saturday morning for a couple hours for two or three months. That's a lot of practice for a young dog. Sure. How old the puppy? Uh, how
1: how old the puppy you talking about turning loose with an older older dog?
0: I'll take them when they turn five or six months old. Mm-hmm. I've I've had a few that at six months old they were running with the pack and not having an issue. You know, um, they'll get up and going. And sometimes, and I found it. With females more than males, the females catch on a little quicker and they go go to the rest of the dogs a lot better. I've had some male dogs that, you know, I was at the point of giving up on them because they were eight, nine months old, maybe a year. And they're still, they're trying to go, but they're struggling. But then it's like you see a deer, you say, all right, buddy, you got to see what you'll do. And it's like a light switch goes off in his head and you can see it. And mm-hmm. from that point on, he's a great dog. Yeah. And I found that, you know, with male dogs seem to be a little bit slower. So I try to give them a little bit more time just to let it click. But the females usually six, seven months old. Most of the time they're, they're going pretty steady and learning as they go.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, but, uh, you, you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about because most places deer hunting with hounds is not even legal to do and we talked about the strong heritage of hound hunting in the south. How many states allow hound hunting for deer? Do you seven know? Seven
0: states in the seven states in the southeast still allow deer hunting with hounds right now.
1: Is it Virginia? Let me see if I can name them. Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi. Yep.
0: Not Louisiana. Louis- well, eight, eight states. I apologize. Eight states. Louisiana's in there.
1: Okay, Louisiana. I, I wasn't sure if Louisiana was or not. Uh, so really what we're talking about here for houndsmen, most of the people that are listening to this podcast, this is kind of a, you know, it's a foreign thing, um, because it's not something that's a tradition or something that is even, even, uh, we can even be familiar with most of the time. Like I said, you know, if my dog gets on a deer, then I've got the garment in my hand and, and the training collar giving him a correction, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, Talk to me about how important, talk to me about the Southern heritage. How important is deer hunting to a
0: Southern announcement? Man, it's, it runs deep in all of us down here. And it's just like me. Everybody's grown up from the time they were old enough to ride in a truck, um, with their dad, grandpa, uncle, whoever it may be. Um, they've done it all their lives and it's just a part of our lifestyle, um, it's been passed down from generation to generation and you know now as stewards of the sport we're trying to get along with neighboring landowners with still hunting clubs because still hunting and deer hunting in general has grown tremendously over the last 10 or 20 years Mm -hmm. Um, so it's made it tougher on the dog hunter especially in the south where people don't where they think we're going to ruin their still hunting club if our dogs get on it. Right. So we, we take it We've taken it upon ourselves to, you know, invite those members and show them what we're doing. Um, and you know, with the garments and everything, the way we have it now, we can control our dogs a lot better. And we pride ourselves on ourselves on our hounds. Everybody goes to church on Sunday morning, bragging about their dog that did so good on Saturday. Um, So we, you know, we don't want anything to happen to them. Um, And it's just one of those things that now that I take my daughter hunting, I see how exciting it was for my dad when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I would much rather see her face light up when the dogs jump and she gets to see a deer cross the road. And I would much rather her get to do that than me kill a big buck.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's... It's like I said, it's just a lifestyle for us down here. We've grown up with it, and we just want to try to keep it alive as long as we can to pass down from generation to generation because these dogs are our family as well, and if we can't run them, then what are we going to do with them? Right. You know, it's not fair to them to so, be in a pen all the time.
1: So what's your biggest, Do you have any? do you have any threats to hound hunting in the South? Are there any threats?
0: Um, yes, there are. Um, Georgia, right now, we're doing a pretty good job. The Georgia Hunting and Fishing Federation, which is an organization for sportsmen, they've done a good job with lobbyists and getting things done at the Capitol. Where we're we're pretty well protected now. We we have to have some numbers associated with our hunting club. And we have to have those numbers on our trucks and our dog collars, but as far as Georgia goes, we're, we're in pretty good shape right now. We don't have near about the problems that we used to, but, uh, other States like Alabama, um, even some issues in Florida where they lost their fox pen several years ago. They're after the dog hunters for deer now. Mm -hmm. Um, and and there's a lot of organizations that I've talked to since I started the magazine that are doing all they can, you know, fundraising, paying lobbyists, Uh, meeting with representatives and senators and trying to get bills passed where everybody's protected and can keep the tradition alive i know mississippi's facing some issues right now i've I've been in contact with one of their uh, hound dog organizations leaders um, talking about some of the issues they're facing bills that are threatening what they like to do there and they're trying to prevent that but it's just you know people don't realize other hunters that dog hunting is the lowest rung on the ladder currently, and if they pick us off of the ladder, they're next right, so we just we all need to group together and you know instead of being separate entities and be one one big group
1: right i I'm glad to hear you say that mark um you said something about still hunters and and I assume you meet you know just to paint that picture we're talking about people that that go out and manage ground for deer and then they sit in tree stands and and deer hunt from right. tree stands with a rifle or archery equipment it's, it's just huge all across the united states it's the number one outdoor opportunity that that people go after is is white deer hunting and i have seen some of those places in the south where they're managing for white deer it used to be quail uh, georgia you know, was the the king for quail hunting and it's become more deer hunting than quail hunting now almost hadn't it
0: yeah sure it's everybody's turning their attention towards deer more than anything these days
1: yeah a lot of the research yeah. a, lot of our, a lot of our whitetail research that uh, we rely on even all the way up into here comes from georgia um, uh, just because yep. of your deer numbers and things like that, so it was just a natural progression. Does that seem to be causing a problem Are there conf- a lot of conflicts between people that are managing property for deer and the hound hunters?
0: um There used to be quite a bit, but and I've even talked to some of our local game wardens over the last couple of years they're they're having a lot less incidents reported than ever before and everybody seems to be getting along um, you're not having quite as many complaints filed against dog hunters um and the game wardens are having to go check people a lot less for any kind of problem
1: mm-hmm. why do you um, think that is be- if you had to put your finger on something and say why that you know nail that down to why that is you're having less uh conflicts out there what do you think it is
0: I honestly believe it's the new tracking and training systems that we have, whether it be, you know, the Dogtra pathfinders or the Garmin alphas and Astros, whatever people choose quick track. Uh, we can keep up with our dogs way better than we ever could now. Mm-hmm. And with, with the train function, I can, if my dogs are running a doe and I want to stop the race, all I have to do is beat their collars and, all 10 of my dogs will stop and come to the truck when I beat their collar and blow the horn on the truck. So, you know, with us spending as much time as we do training our dogs and teaching them, you know, when we say stop, it's time to stop. And if they're getting ready to cross a highway onto a a neighboring steel hunting club or cross the dirt road and we can catch all the dogs, that has created a lot less issues now that, we have that technology just to be able to help train our dogs better.
1: Yeah. And I, I try to explain this to people all the time because houndsmen and, and, uh, your traditional deer hunter, it's just a communication issue. You know, uh, yep. they don't understand what we're doing yep. and, and we've got to be the ones to teach them and show them what they're doing. And I've tried to tell deer hunters, the last place I want my hound is where he's not supposed to be because at the point that he gets out of pocket on me and gets into a place that I know I'm going to have problems, that's going to ruin my whole day. So I'm going to spend time training my hound to, to be tone broke and, and come in and, and stop him on a track and bring him back. There's a lot of work that goes into that, and I think a lot of times we just uh, – have liked to live in the shadows and secret and just recently people are becoming more familiar with what we do. And, and I think we're gaining ground there, but, um, we, we just, we have to be able to communicate with these guys and let them know that there's a lot that goes into this. And up till now, I think a lot of people just thought it was a free for all. You take any dog you want out there, you dump it out on the track and you just follow it wherever it goes. And, That's just that's just uh, that's not been our friend, you know. That that type of a, a, a characterization of our lifestyle hasn't been friendly to us for a lot of years. So, I think this is a good place to jump over and and talk about uh, your magazine that you're you're putting out down there. So, tell us how long ago you started the magazine and uh, what your goal was with the magazine and things like that. Because I, you are the voice. I don't know of any other magazine that showcases a southern houndsman like yours.
0: Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, you know, I was sitting around reading uh, just a general outdoor publication in January of 2018 and it kind of hit me. I said, you know, I grew up running hounds and I've never seen a publication down here on a regular basis that devotes hunting stories to the dog hunter, you know a story by a hunter for a hunter about using hounds Mm -hmm. and I took the idea to my wife I thought you know she's gonna shoot me down and tell me I'm crazy and she said you know that sounds like a really good idea she said that's something you've been passionate about your whole life she said we can look into it and see about getting a magazine together so I sat down with a, a couple local magazine companies and talked to their owners and found out some in and outs and by September of 2018, I released my first issue, and mm. the guy that does my design work at In the Game magazine, a local high school sports magazine, he told me, he said, when I talked to you in February, he said, I never thought I would see you again. He yep. said, I can't believe you had this qual- this higher quality of magazine with this content together by September. I said, well, just go to show you I- I get something on my mind and there's something I'm passionate about, I'll put in the effort for it. So we started our first issue off in September. And I decided since I do have a full-time job um, that we we're going to do it quarterly. Um, just to give me, you know, a couple months in between each issue to put content together and get everything the way it should be. So in September, we released it. Um, passed out over 3,000 copies for free. I sent them all across south georgia north florida and into the carolinas thinking that would be the basis for my magazine you know primarily south georgia and north florida well social media being the way that it is it kind of took off a lot more than i expected and here we are almost two and a half years later and we're shipping magazines to 29 states across the country
1: as houndsmen our lifestyle is under constant attack The Houndsman XP podcast was created to give houndsmen a credible voice to maintain their rights and their freedoms to free cast their hounds on well-managed game populations. We need your support. I am asking you to go to our website at houndsmanxp.com. Find the support button. It's right on the front page. Click that. It will take you to our Patreon page. We already have several dedicated houndsmen who have stepped up and said they want to be a part of this lifestyle to preserve, protect, and promote hound hunting. For as little as $1 per show, you are going to receive benefits from Houndsman XP. You're going to receive discount codes on the gear that you need that keeps you in the field, keeps those hounds on the ground, and you following your hounds. With your Patreon support, you're going to be privy to pro tips, tailgate talks, bonus material that is not available to the public. We also offer a blog space there, a message board where you can come and post pictures of your hunts in an uncensored environment and showcase your hounds and the work you're doing when you're out there honey. Join us on Patreon, go to houndsmanxp.com, click the support button, and take a stand with other dedicated houndsmen for your freedoms today. So how many states did you say uh, Southern Hound Hunters is he- headed out to now?
0: Uh, 29 states. We're uh, actually shipping coast to coast now.
1: Yeah. Yep. You got any international subscribers yet?
0: Yeah, we've had uh, somebody from Ireland A couple from Australia and one from Mexico. So that kind of blew my mind when we went international. I never would have guessed that, but that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, that is really neat. Uh, So tell us us what a person can expect when they pick up a copy of your magazine.
0: Um, My whole goal when I started this magazine was to promote any kind of hound hunting or dog hunting, in a positive image. Like we've talked about previously, we've always gotten the negative comments and the negative image. So I thought that if we could promote a positive image of what our sport really entails, um, we might gain some traction and be able to save the tradition for you know, the future generations. So my magazine, I dedicated it to everything hound hunting possible. We've got the deer dogging section for deer hunters, uh, hog dogging, bear dogging and then uh small game section. So and the small game entails everything from fox and coyote trials, um, bobcats, squirrels, raccoons, and rabbit hunting. Um so no matter what you like to hunt, we cover it. Even with the feist with the squirrel hunting. Yeah. Um that's one of my one of my favorite things to do now with a feist that I own, um, is to squirrel hunt with her and to me, that's, you know, using a dog to work, and that co- our magazine covers that. Right. And we've partnered with several different organizations and hunting clubs over the last two years. Um, the Fallen Outdoors is an organization out of Florida. They take uh, wounded warriors and vets on hunts, and I went to a, a deer hunt with seven of those guys in the Fallen Outdoors in Florida last year. Um, we tell the back story, um, youth hunts in North Carolina, in the sand hills, North Carolina, um, just all the good things that dog hunters really do um, and to let people realize that. And I, I send my magazines all over the place, even the places where um, dog hunting isn't as popular, just so people maybe will pick it up and read and gain a little information about what we truly do and who we truly are. Yeah. And we, we try to include, um, a vet column in every issue. I have a local vet that covers various topics for each issue. So, um, our readers can find out some useful information from him. We have a hound hunting kids section. And obviously that's my favorite section, um, dedicated to the kids. We have brag pages for pictures and it's just amazing to me, all the pictures that get sent in to me of kids in the woods with their dogs. Yeah. And everybody loves that part the best as well, I believe. Um, I had a young man call me uh, last January, and he was nine years old, and he just killed his first two bucks in front of dogs. And he <laughs> said, can I tell you my story for the magazine? And I said, you absolutely can. <laughs> so I talked, to, I, I talked to him on the phone for over an hour. And it was like talking to a a professional deer hunter. He had the stands where he was, you know, getting on the stand to kill the deer. He had the roads down pat and he had the excitement in the voice. Yeah. And to be able to talk to a a young hunter like that and to print his story in a magazine makes it all worthwhile for me. Because that's more important than anything we do is keeping those youth hunters going to keep them in line with the tradition. And we even, you know, uh, last year I partnered with Cora Parker um, and her Girls with Hounds line, uh-huh. and we do a Girls with Hounds column. So nice. we represent the women as well because I know having a daughter and a wife who love going hunting with me, um, the female part of it is extremely important, if not more important than the guys hunting. Um, so we got a little bit of everything for everybody, you know, yeah. Recipe anything that's wild game or desert to anything you know. So these all our hunters like to cook what they kill and have some side dishes go with it. We've got some good old southern recipes to go with it as well.
1: Do you publish those in the magazine?
0: I do. Yep. Great. Yeah. Yep, and we, you said this is
1: a, you said this is a quarterly magazine, Mark.
0: It is. We do a. Um, December, March, June, and September issues. And the reason I kind of did it all centered like that, I figured other than South Carolina starts in August, I could release my September issue that would be kind of our introductory to, you know, hunting seasons, everything's getting fired up, everybody's had the summer off and ready to go. And that that September issue's got some season dates and announcements for various states. and, Uh And then December... You know, you kind of get midway through some of your seasons and states, and people are sending us stories midway through seasons, and and then our upcoming issue, our March issue, will be you know the remainder of seasons. Some of the Alabama and Western states that you know get to hunt on into January, and February, they can send us their pictures and stories, and then you know our summer issue, we we try to do some puppy information And in our summer issue because that's, you know, main time people are starting to raise and train puppies. And right. We've try, try to do some hog hunting in that time because that's when the hog hunters are fired up for the summertime. Everybody else is out of the woods and that's all the hog hunters. Yeah. So.
1: That's we, mostly. Uh, most. kind of
0: correlated a little bit with.
1: It sounds tortoises. like. Yeah, it just sounds like you got to, you know, you kind of managing it quarterly like that. You can kind of have themes for each, each quarter that, you know, it sounds like the December issue is going to be the big blowout. Lots of pictures, lots of hunting stories type stuff, and probably your spring issue will be the same way, following up from the end of those hunting seasons. and And uh, sounds like it's uh, sounds like it's going real well.
0: Yeah, it is, and and you know, I didn't do this for any kind of recognition, and obviously didn't do it for the money. Um, I just did because I'm passionate about it and I wanted to share my passion with everybody else and you know we've I've talked to plenty of readers and before the world kind of shut down last year we were going to shows across the southeast and I enjoyed talking hunting with everybody I talked to Mm -hmm. Uh, just to get out and meet new hunters I've made a ton of new friends and um, just to be able to share the passion of this sport with with everybody and you know, we went from our first issue to pulling old photos that all of my friends and everything, everybody had, you know, to fill up the brag pages. To right. now, we're getting over a thousand pictures per issue. People sending us, and I'm having to go through and try to, you know, be fair and pick the best ones and captions. And but that, it's amazing to me to see that kind of response where people want to see themselves in a magazine.
1: Well, it sounds like you've brought, you've, you're pretty optimistic about the future of hound hunting. You think what do you I, th- where do you think we're at?
0: Uh, you know, I've talked to several people about that, and um, I hope we're at a point where it's starting to turn around. And maybe because, just like I said here in Georgia, things are, seem to be looking up and getting a little bit better. I hope that we can do that in all the states. Especially the states where we still have deer hunting to keep that around, um, I hope that we can still continue to fight and keep it going. And I'm very optimistic that you know all these organizations that formed in these states are doing everything within their power to keep it up and fighting for the cause. And we're going to do our part to help spread that word. And if you know we can print a story about legislation that's going on in Mississippi right now. And if nothing else, help them get, you know, more people on board to fight that's not a member of that organization or even from people from bordering states to help join in the fight. Um, every little bit counts.
1: Yeah. Well, and they need a, you know, they need that voice for people to understand what's going on. And it sounds like, sounds like your magazine is, is providing that. That's definitely what we're trying to do here. And, um with this podcast because like you you know it's it's just it's a thing that we do because we love it we do it because we believe in it and we want to make sure that it's here for a long time and and people from the south are just i've always enjoyed houndsmen from the south some of the best hunting trips that i've ever been on and i've been fortunate enough to hunt a lot of places but hunting those hunting those uh south georgia plantations and what you call flatwoods people just um uh, we always have a good time when we go down there always
0: oh yeah and you know it's and that's one of the things about raising kids in this you know our kids have as much fun as adults it's good family fun you know it's nothing the radio stays clean and you know, there's nothing bad going on. You keep these kids on the dirt roads and having a blast and you're hunting with some of the best people the world's ever seen. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, You couldn't ask for better role models for kids as, as hound hunters. Um, Right. We're all, you know, we're good stewards of the land. We try to take care of the places we hunt, take care of our animals. And, you know, kids watching as they grow up, take care of these hounds and, the love and respect you have for them and even the animals we harvest having the respect for them that we do you can't ask for a better teaching tool for the next generation
1: yeah and it's time that you're spending with your family i think it's it's uh you're never going to lose and our kids are never going to lose the more time we can spend with them doing the things that we love to do and sharing that with them is going to be beneficial for our kids uh, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to, dad goes and does his thing and, and uh, what do the kids do? You know, they sit there on a PlayStation or an Xbox and um, yep. just got to get those kids out there. So that's, that's all good yep. stuff.
0: And that's, you know, that's why the, the hound hunting kids section of the magazine is most important to me because, you know, you get it. Kids excited about it. They get to see themselves in the magazine. That just encourages them to go more, and maybe they'll get to see themselves again. You know, that's right. Whatever they harvest, or or with just their dogs. Yeah. And you don't have you know as well as I do. You don't have to harvest an animal every time you go hunt. Have a big time with with your hounds.
1: You know, there's a there's a statistic, and I'm gonna be real broad in it, but you know, everybody always gets on social media and talks about the good old days and. What happened, what's happening with kids and kids these days, and this and that? You see a lot of that stuff going around. But, uh, you know, in 1800, 83% of the population was agricultural based, you know, and that meant that dads were working with sons, families were working together, moms were working with daughters, uh, the family was, was working together to make a living. And by the time 1900 got here, it dropped to around. 70 70 percent and then after world war ii it started dropping pretty quick and now we're down to three percent where the family is agricultural based so anytime we can keep that nuclear family together and i always wanted my kids to learn how to interact with other people for me and i always they always people say oh you gotta have your kids with other kids so they learn how to socialize well, I want them to learn how to socialize for the what's going to be the most majority of their lifetime, you know. And that's yep. you got to know how to talk. You need to know how to shake a man's hand. You need to know how to follow through on your word and and how what it means to be a good character. And when you can take kids out there and interact with other adults, which uh, you know sounds like your deer hunting group is just these type of people, where. They learn how to interact with them. They learn how to talk to them. They know when they should be respectful. And, and I mean, you can't, there isn't any course you can pay for to teach kids that kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely not. And, you know, these kids get out of the truck. They get to ride on the dog box all day long. And they get out and help, you know, grown men catch their dogs when the race is over, put them in their box for them. And they learn a lot of good things. And just like you said, they're around a lot of adults, and they're getting to talk to them like a grown person and learning the ways of it. And especially on the CB radio, if your kid's a little bashful talking face-to-face, you get them talking on the radio. Mm-hmm. And before long, you know, they're getting out of the truck, want to see everybody and talk to them face-to-face after talking to them on the radio all day.
1: Right. Do your um, kids, does your daughter address older people like, she would call me mr chris yes sir yep i'll tell you what yes, i love sir. that
0: she, she you know she knows yes sir no ma'am and if now you know we all have cb handles um one of my closest friends that i hunt with his name's Redbird. um another guy's jughead that i grew up hunting with now she'll call them by their cb handle just because she hears it all the time uh-huh but if we're in a different setting. She'll, she'll run up to Jared and say, Hey, Mr. Jared. So she knows when and where, but you know, certain people, she just knows her CB handle better than she knows (laughs) the real man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) No, I always, I, I really did. I always, I always enjoyed being around kids in the South. Um, I think it's a lost value when you get, and I'm in Southern India. I mean, I look at Kentucky every day. I'm no by no means a Southern person, but uh, uh, still, there, even where I'm at, that level of respect is lost. You know, that compared mm-hmm. to the way you all raise your kids down there, and I'll tell you, it's it's a uh, it's a valuable thing. Valuable thing.
0: Yes, yeah, sure. was- sir that's the way I was raised and that's the way my wife and I are raising Remy. And I, I'm like you, I think it's a very important aspect to have in your personality to have that level of respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, a, it's and, not a, it's not a sign of weakness. You know, when you're respectful, oh, when you, not. when you, some of the toughest people I know I served with in the Marine Corps were from the South. I mean, mountain kids and Southern kids, they, they just, they get her done and so there's nothing weak about it but they're respectful and and the whole whole nine yards so mark what do you think the biggest threat to uh to hound hunting is i asked you that once before but overall you, you mentioned us being the lowest rung on the ladder um what's the biggest threat we're facing right now
0: and there's a couple different aspects of it, I think, that tie into the threats, and that's the industrialization of hunting in general. Um, used to you'd have one or two hunting shows uh, on TV, and now you've got three or four channels completely dedicated to nothing but hunting shows, and everybody's trying to grow the biggest and best buck that they can now or you know, um, try to make as much money off of raising deer as they can for providing hunts. So, that combination of uh, population growth Um, you've got a lot of people leaving the suburbs and the cities and headed to rural areas and buying land and building houses where there never was before Mm -hmm. and once we start once we start hunting around them and they complain about it and they're not used to it um, things like that just cause more turmoil and more issues that we have to face every day Um, it's just a combination of a lot of things, in my opinion, um, and you know with the election results that we've had, especially here in Georgia recently um things aren't looking up for our side of the playing field, um, but as I stated before, you've got these groups that are doing the best they can, and we hope that they continue to fight
1: mhm- well i think I think we've got to figure out ways to I really liked what you said earlier in the podcast in this interview. You know about working with people that don't share a passion for hounds that is going to be so important we've got to we've got to we've got to stop pigeonholing ourselves as hunters you know we like to call ourselves houndsmen but we're hunters first and foremost and and can't have a deer hunter and a quail hunter it's everybody's got to be on the same page singing from the same sheet of music um if we're going to keep keep watching this thing go and i think we've got a good opportunity right now because from my experience hunters become united when there's a crisis when there's no crisis hunters just like to go do their thing they like to go do their own thing they like to enjoy their time they don't need to be they don't like to go to the state capitol and testify or 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 even trouble themselves with that but when there's no when there's no crisis that's easy to do but i think yep. what we've what we're going to be seeing here shortly is there's going to be a need for us to be unified as a hunting community and even more so within the hound hunting community we've got to be unified so
0: absolutely and that's you know one other thing that we've covered in our magazine, because i'm not going to alienate somebody that only likes to steal hunt Cause just as you said, we're all hunters. I've covered some bow hunting stories where they have used a tracking dog to find a wounded deer, uh-huh. and to me, that's that's using a hound or a dog to to find a deer or whatever you know may be. And so we'll you know we're going to partner with still hunters and help them out as well. Um, right. And I think those stories bridge a gap between dog hunters and you know people that still hunt.
1: I love that term bridge the gap you know sometimes i'll I'll use that term or i'll say standing in the gap but right now we need to bridge every gap we can and uh, i love that term and we've got to we've got to be able to do that whether you're a bear hunter coon hunter squirrel hunter uh you know if you're a deer hunter if you're listening to the podcast you pick up a copy of uh southern hound hunter honey magazine and 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 you know look at it objectively and know that the people that are out there with their deer hounds or their hog dogs or their bear dogs or whatever they are just as passionate about their lifestyle as you are about yours. Uh, If you're, if you're into quality deer management, go for it, man. If you, if you want to bugle elk and case chase bighorn sheep, go for it. But don't ever think that, that we aren't just as passionate and involved in our lifestyle as as you are in yours
0: yeah, and it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is yeah when it comes to dog hunting oh yeah i know we i i get told several times a year that it's just too easy but there's nothing easy about it when you consider the time spent in the hounds and everything else it's there's still some skill and a lot of effort put into it
1: you know i i often tell my non-hound hunting friends and it's not trying to be an elitist, but when I hear that, I just look at them and say, "My lifestyle is a 365-day year commitment. Yes I've, you I've do. got to care for hounds, I got to feed hounds, I got to train hounds, and for a few days a year, I get to hunt those hounds. And I've deer hunted. I've got my own property here that I that I deer hunt on, and and do the still hunting deal. I've uh, been all over the United States." and and been involved in hunting enforcement so i'm familiar with all the hunting out there and there isn't one that's more important than another there just isn't so Mm -hmm. well mark you got any closing thoughts before we wrap this one up i appreciate it we didn't get into hog hunting and and bear hunting but uh we've covered some of that on other podcasts I, i really wanted to talk to you about deer hunting it um probably the one of the most misunderstood types of hunting we have in the united states uh with hounds and i'll tell you most houndsmen haven't done a real good job of of um uh, being supportive of the deer houndsmen of the south you know it's kind of like well you guys are down there by yourself and and yeah, everybody
0: we, everybody tends to forget about us down here and
1: we do and i'm the, not gonna the lie sport,
0: the sport that we choose and i that so it's it's kind of a lost art and tradition everywhere else but down here but it's still going as strong as it ever has and we're keeping it up and loving every minute of it
1: that is good news that is good news tell people where they can find uh your magazine and how they can subscribe
0: all right um you can go on the website at southernhoundhunting.com um, find out some more information on the magazine there on our home page and find the subscription form in our online store um as we talked about earlier we do four quarterly issues a year and it's only 15 dollars a year to subscribe so mm-hmm. um get on there and check it out and we'll have them shipped to your house directly and you can enjoy some good reading
1: it is i and i don't know how many issues you sent me but but i went through them all I, they're in my bunkhouse out there when i have guests in that's one of the magazines I always see him pick up and thumbing through. So, nice magazine.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I really appreciate that, and I love the podcast. And I can't believe I'm actually getting to be on it. Honestly, I've been listening to it since day one, and y'all do a great job. And I've learned a lot about you know hunting out west that I've never got to experience yet, and I really enjoyed that.
1: Well, we do the best we can with with what we got.
0: <laughs> I, I I know the feeling. I do the same thing.
1: <laughs> Luckily, I've got a, a good team and and uh, pick good guests that entertain people. So,
0: yeah, we have done a good job on that.
1: Well, Mark, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. And uh, until next time, buddy, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you. For it.